Hi folks, this is Andy, the analytical preacher. You know, when most of us have to answer important life questions, things that could be life-defining or life-altering questions, we generally are very intentional about it. We think through our options. We may seek the opinion of others that we trust. But when it comes to arguably the single most important question that will answer, who am I? What am I? What is my purpose? I'm afraid sometimes we don't put as much thought actively into answering that question as we probably should. I mean, think about it. Even relatively minor questions. Say when we're seriously hungry, we've been hiking all day. We're really hungry. The group that we've been hiking with, we say, what food would best satisfy us? Someone says, well, we need to figure out what food is closest because we're going to have to drive to go get it. So it may not be what's most satisfying. If we really think through our options. We put a plan in place about how are we going to satisfy our hunger. And certainly as you get to more important questions, I've lost my job and I know that I need to get new employment soon. We're very conscious. We're very intentional about seeking the best options for our employment, talking to friends and family, looking on the web, doing all of these things. As I said, the question of who am I, the idea of what defines our identity is probably the primary thing that influences our mental and emotional health. It's the primary thing that influences our spiritual health. The identity that we carry around is dictating the choices that we make in life, the directions that we go in life. And yet we often struggle to accurately pinpoint. We oftentimes take on an identity, live within an identity that we didn't even explicitly choose. Unlike being hungry or losing a job, there's not a defined point in time where we say this is when and how we will define who we are. A writer, David Foster Wallace, in what became a very famous commencement address to some college graduates, an address that he entitled, This is Water, he says this, There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what or who to worship. I would say the exact same thing about identity. There is no such thing as not having an identity. There is no possibility that a human being can walk around not having this overarching idea or image in their mind that defines them, that tells them who they are, where they're going, dictates how they feel, etc. The only questions are, where did this identity that I'm carrying with me, in me, on me, where did this identity come from? And is it the right identity, a healthy identity, the most productive identity? And I bring this up primarily because as I speak to individuals who are struggling with a broad array of issues as a minister or a pastor, I often find that at the core of their issues, of their instabilities, of their anxieties or whatever else it is, their insecurities, their anger, at the core is There's a misidentity. They don't really know who they are. And when I ask them, who are you? I get answers that run the spectrum. Some people go, they start with, I'd say, what's the first thing you would say about yourself if you had to identify yourself to me in eight seconds? They said, well, I'm a male or I'm a female. 
I'm a black or a white or a Latino. I'm an American. I'm a Salvadoran. I'm an accountant. I'm a mom. I'm a plumber. I'm a Republican. I'm an entertainer. I'm a progressive. They go on and on with these surface level sort of hit and miss identities, as I call them. And many of them have built their identities from their heritage, from the family that they're in, or from whatever group it is that they've made the closest connections to or belonged to the longest. That clearly makes perfect sense, that that's where part of our identity would come from. Who am I? Well, where did I come from? What are my ancestors like? What am I doing in my life currently? What group am I closest to? Who do I get the most support from or who needs me the most, etc.? tends to define our identities. But it's far beyond things that even make sense like that. I talk to people and their primary identity of their self is built around their political ideology. It's built around their wealth or their material possessions. It's built around the successes they've had in life. I've had individuals who struggle to get beyond saying that they identify with the bands that they follow around on tour or their favorite sports team or even the tattoos that line their legs and their arms. I don't mean at all to poke fun at the individuals who have a misunderstanding of their identity. It's the reason for the podcast, and it's one of the things that I seem to be doing a lot in my ministerial work lately. I think the catalyst for most of the folks who have this misplaced identity, it's one, a lack of meaningful spiritual influences in their lives. If we are more than just dirt. Now, the Bible does say, from dust you came and to dust you will return. But the Bible also says that when we die, our bodies return back to the earth, back to the dust, whence it came. But our spirit goes to God who made it, who gave it to us. So we are more than just a physical being like a bacteria cell or a rat or a kangaroo. And so I think sometimes a lack of meaningful spiritual influence is an inability to really analyze and explore the spiritual aspect of their life harms their ability to form an appropriate identity. And then the things such as divorce of the parents or some similar breakdown or break up of their family structure really can throw individuals into a very emotional tailspin, into a very emotionally bad place. And from that, they rebuild an identity which has more to do with trying to heal the wounds inside of them than really provide the way for them to move forward in life. And so as people try to build this identity, as I said, they try to heal sometimes from the wounds that the the world has really placed on them. They just begin to assume the identity of whatever place seems to accept them or whatever people will allow them to belong to them. Others just slowly absorb an identity from the culture at large or, again, from the specific individual people around them. But whatever the case, whatever the catalyst was that caused them to begin to misbuild and misidentify their identity, and however it is that they've replaced their true spiritual identity with some ineffective earthly identity, whatever the catalyst of the loss was, whatever the origin of the rebuild is, it's often not brought to the surface until major red flags are flashing in their light 
and they're seeking the help of a counselor or a minister or friends that they know they can trust, major red flags like addictions or anxieties or irrepressible anger or this cliquish, increasingly cliquish devotion to the in-group to which they belong or a withdrawing from the world, struggles with gender fluidity, struggles with personal relationships. As these things begin to swirl in their life and create additional chaos, reopen the wounds that cause them to build the false identity to begin with, then they begin to seek help. The farther you get down the road, the more red signs that are flashing, the longer you've carried the weight of a false identity, obviously, the more difficult it is to put ourselves back on the right path. So the best approach is to sit down and say, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What should be my driving force in understanding and prioritizing my life? And as we ask that question, as we seek to intentionally, explicitly build our identity, we clearly want to go to the scriptures. We want to see what the Bible says about who we are. Let me read about five scriptures here real quick. Just to give you a feel, I'm going to pull from both the Old Testament written before Jesus came to earth, the New Testament written after Jesus came. Let me pull from the Old Testament and the New Testament to just sort of help us quickly build the foundation for who we are. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 say this, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God told the prophet Isaiah to write these words. We find it in Isaiah chapter 43 verses 6 and 7. God says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. New Testament, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verses 15, 16, and 17. The Apostle Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs, with Christ. And Romans 5 8, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is our identity? Who am I? And these verses would say, my identity is that I am a child of God. I was made by God. I am known by God. I am loved by God in a way that he proved definitely to me. I am called home by God. I am redeemed by God through his son, Jesus Christ, and adopted into a permanent, perfect, everlasting family. That is who I am. And so certain parts of society may not like me because of my race or because of my gender or because of how I vote or because of the 
degree that I chose to get in college. But God says, yes, but you are mine and you're important to me. And I know you and I call you and I love you and I'm adopting you into my family. And it is permanent. And this is where you belong. And these people around you are your brothers and sisters. We're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in Galatians 3.26. And obviously, once we have an identity, then this, what is my purpose question just sort of naturally falls out of that identity. We can just throw a couple of more scriptures out and it'll help us to refine that answer to that question. If that is who I am, then what is my purpose? First chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice we get a sub-identity, male or female, but that's not the primary identity. The primary is I'm created in the image of God. Second Corinthians, now we'll go to the New Testament. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So if my identity is that I'm a child of God, made and known by God, loved by God, called home by God, redeemed by God through his son, which allowed him to adopt me permanently into his everlasting family, then what is my purpose as a child of God, as a part of his family, I have been made in his image to speak for God, to reflect God, and to represent God here on earth. I am a delegate. I am an ambassador. I am a representative and a spokesperson on earth for God. And I know some people will say, I don't necessarily need an identity. I don't need the identity of belonging to this family, this ethnic group, this political party, or belonging to God or belonging to a church. I don't need an identity, which is why I've not thought about it, which is why I don't stress over it. But that's absolutely just completely wrong. Everything that you do comes from who you think you are, who you think you're supposed to be, what you think you're supposed to be doing, everything from how you determine what's right and what's wrong, how you understand what am I supposed to do in the world? How am I supposed to react to the difficulties that every human is presented in life? How am I supposed to build meaning from my experiences? How do I know when to go forward, when to go back, when to turn, when to seek and when to abandon? How do I know how to act? How do I know how to react to a crazy and unfair world? What do I understand about justice and injustice? And how do I play the role of seeking justice and correcting oppression? How do I even understand concepts like justice and oppression? All of it flows, all of it flows from your identity, from who you are and what your overriding purpose is. All of the priorities that drive our lives come from our identity. The strength and the permanence of our emotional and mental well-being flow from our identity and what should drive our priorities and what should strengthen 
and enhance our emotional and mental well-being is the identity that we are children of God, permanently adopted into God's family, completely accepted by Him and every other child of God on earth all around the world, and that I am here to do God's work first and foremost to speak for him, to represent him, to reflect his glory and his love and his righteousness and his truth back into his creation. And the things that I do as a human, first and foremost, I have to think, am I acting like God? Am I being transformed into the image of Christ as I do this? Am I pleasing God and representing him well in his creation? As our identities have become more and more dispersed, as they have become more and more unanchored from our true spiritual identity as children in God's family, we see identity politics begin to bubble up and take over in different parts of our society here in America. And unfortunately, the modern versions of identity politics And again, I'm arguing all of these identity politics are all based on false, burdensome, unhealthy, unhelpful identities that people are carrying around like a heavy sack on their back. And these heavy, untrue, unrealistic identities that we're carrying, modern identity politics is dividing us and modern identity Politics, modern identity culture is doing a bang up job of dividing us. And so if you begin to see this group that I belong to, Yankees or Southerners or progressives or conservatives or this religion or that, if you begin to see that the group that I belong to, my group is naturally good and the other group, those other people are inherently evil, as you begin to Take on that thought as you begin to get more and more clickish, diving deeper and deeper into the confines and the security of your own in-group and seeing more and more suspect about the groups outside of you. I would argue part of the reason you're doing that is not because you're so great. You've really figured out how the world works and all of those other people are evil and stupid and can't figure out what you have. I would argue when you become that clickish, that inward focused And you begin to think me and mine are naturally good and them and those are inherently evil. It's because your identity is not working for you. It's because you have a false identity. You're not seeing yourself and acting as a child of God because your God-given identity as a child of God adopted into his family to do his work and reflect his glory. That identity is designed to unite us not pull us apart. Let me close with a verse from Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, where Paul writes about exactly this. As we come to understand our identity in Christ, as we come to understand we're adopted children of the one true God, as we come to be remade and continuously and ever more greatly transformed into the image of Christ, Paul writes this, that we have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, in this new world, under this new identity, here, he says, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all 
and in all. In other words, there are no racial differences, cultural differences, religious differences, differences in terms of wealth, achievement, material possessions, or language. Those are the groups that Paul is covering there, and that's the reason he lists them as he does. Our God-given identity should not only set us in life, it should not only help to heal our anxieties, it should not only help to drive away our anger and our uncertainty, it should not only give us a place and a feeling of acceptance and belonging, it should not only help us prioritize our life and make our decisions, but it should make us a unifier in a culture that is increasingly increasingly being pulled apart at the seams. And that is one of the ways that we reflect God and act as his spokespeople on earth is we begin to reverse the identity crisis in America, reverse the identity crisis across the world, help people to refine themselves as members of God's family, as God's reflectors, as God's spoke people. And as we begin to reunify where the cultural identity issues have divided and ripped us apart. Who are you? You are a child of God, loved, called, made by him, saved and adopted by him. Why are you here to work for God, to reflect his image, to represent him here on earth and be his spokesperson, witness and example? Blessings as we all try to grasp and hold that identity. Blessings to you as the Holy Spirit continues to transform you into the image of Christ. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.